double dissociations, I think, are important for uh, neuropsychologists who are trying to uh, discover or work out the sort of modular organization of uh, our uh, cognitive systems. And I think this is particularly the case in uh, trying to understand the organization of our knowledge systems. So by uh, a double dissociation, take the example of animate and inanimate. Uh, first, uh, we describe patients who had, uh, were very impaired in their knowledge of animate things, but had preservation of their inanimate things. Now, this pattern of performance gains a lot of strength uh, by uh, the description of the opposite, and it is the opposite uh, pattern with the impairment of uh, inanimate objects and the preservation of the animate that it's this crossover that one describes as a uh, double dissociation and uh, suggests that these uh, two systems uh, must have a degree of independence. Well, um, these uh, were the two sort of major and uh, first uh, sort of compelling descriptions of category specificity. But I think it's true to say that uh, since then, um, further, more fine-grain uh, dissociations uh, between preservation, selective preservation or selective impairment of categories have been uh, described. And then there's also the slightly sort of orthogonal uh, <coughs> uh, dimension uh, where we think in terms of parts of speech rather than uh, in terms of, uh, if you like, taxonomic uh, categories. So we now know, and I think uh, it's pretty well accepted, that uh, the dissociation between nouns and verbs, and this has resulted in a double uh, dissociation. Um, the impairment of nouns, uh, particularly, is uh, knowledge of nouns, it's quite common uh, place. Uh, I think uh, Ros McCarthy and I were perhaps uh, able to uh, describe a patient who had lost the meaning of verbs. Uh, and we, uh, this then constitutes a uh, double dissociation. And indeed, we interpreted, uh, reinterpreted, if you like, some of the agrammatic uh, syndromes in terms of loss of comprehension of uh, verbs rather than of syntax. There are a number of examples of more fine-grained categorical effects. For example, a patient that I worked, studied with Pat McKenna, this was back in the late 70s actually, uh, she observed that when she was testing somebody uh, on their proper noun knowledge, uh, trying to identify people, uh, always uh, identified them by their nationality. So trying to name a picture of Gandhi said Indian. And so we wondered if whether this patient, this triggered the uh, experiment. Um, we wondered if uh, he had, this patient had uh, preserved his knowledge of countries. And uh, 
So what we did was, we're still using this test today quite regularly, uh, put together uh, a test that consisted of 50 uh, drawings of common objects. Uh, Pat was uh, sent home that night to come back the next day with uh, 50 pictures drawn by hand uh, of uh, 10 objects, uh, 10 animals, 10 parts of the body, uh, 10 countries, and what was the other one? <laughs> uh, there were definitely uh, five uh, categories. Anyhow, this patient uh, was asked, A, to name all these 50 items, and was then asked in an array of 10, point to the dog, point to the cat, point to the colors. <laughs> And so then we had these uh, 10 colors, point to the green, point to the red, and then maps, point to Italy, point to uh, United States, point to Wales, etc. And the, he could do the countries. He could both name them and understand their names. Uh, and he was at a loss with the other categories. And this effect has now been replicated uh, in several more uh, recent cases. But that's what started that uh, line of inquiry.